Good morning, Rise in Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Are you glad I'm back? Did you miss me? Oh, good. It's nice to see you again. How you doing over there? Welcome back to the show. Sorry I was out yesterday. Um, been fighting a pretty nasty illness in the Peterson household. I know, but I don't need your sympathy. I just need your attention and your like. Click that like button. And if it's your first time watching the show today and you're enjoying the content that you're going to hear, then subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you come back and join us. Make some friends. I see we've got somebody from Canada joining us today. Wake up North America. First time I have seen Bruce Burt Whistle here joining us. Nice to see you, Bruce. Give him a big old Wake Up America show welcome. Yes, Stephanie Peterson in the house as well. It's a family affair. Yeah. Glad to have you here, CJ824, The Onion Dip. What's up, Will Run Riot? Yes, likety-like. Glad to have you. Yeah, we got lots to talk about today. Lots of great content. Don't forget, too, you can send us a text and let us know what's on your mind. The text line's always open at 573-319-1586. If you're watching this live, you can see the little numbers down there, right? I probably need to make them a little bit easier to read. Um... Brandon Meyer says he has a box of tissues too next to his computer for a different reason though. No, God! No, God, please, no! No! I want to know. No! No! Glad to have all you here. 78 of you joining us live. The numbers just continue to rise. We'll be having a great show for you today. And of course, like and subscribe, like and subscribe. Oh, uh, just a quick um, note. We have been creating bonus content for the show. Last week's bonus content was unleashing the dogs of war and the pigeons of war and we released uh, all sorts of interesting content about famous animals from american history this week we've got a new theme and the theme this week for the bonus content that you can unlock is mythbusters so if you're into myth busting you can unlock the extra special bonus content today by donating $50 at least combined. If everybody kicks in and we raise $50 by the end of the show, then you will unlock today's Myth Busted, where we go through famous myths from American history and we tell the true story of what happened. I've produced that content for you today. And if we don't unlock it by the end of the show, it goes away forever. Aww. So don't forget to uh, make a Rumble Rant donation today. And if you do, then you get that extra special content. This week will be all about famous American myths that we will be busting. I think you guys will love it. Today's is really special. So make a Rumble Rant donation and we'll get you rocking and rolling. Well, since I am suffering a little bit from a cold today, uh, I decided to bring in some heavy hitters to join us, some extra special guests. At 7.30 a.m. today, uh, Ilya Shapiro from the Manhattan Institute will be joining us. To update us on the crisis on the southern border, the immigration crisis continues to deepen in this country as even Democrat politicians are crying for Washington, D.C. to do something. So far, the Biden administration has refused, saying that they don't have the constitutional authority to act to secure the southern border. Of course, Republicans disagree. Donald Trump has come out against the new legislation that's being proposed by the Senate. Uh, and being advanced to try and give the Biden administration the proper legitimate authority to deal with the crisis on the border. Uh, and so the question is, will that bill pass? The Chamber of Commerce, notably, 
has come out in favor of passing that immigration bill. We'll be talking about that this morning at 7.30 a.m. Central Time with constitutional lawyer Ilya Shapiro. We'll be looking forward to, hear, forward to hearing from him. Please forgive, I might be a little bit slower and sounding a little stuffier than usual today. Um, and at 8 o'clock this morning, I'm looking forward to hearing from Chris Spangle from We Are Libertarians to talk this morning about the possibility of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running, not as an independent, but as a libertarian in... What? He's not a real libertarian. Come on. <laughs> Who is? I was told I was not a real libertarian. I still am all the time. So if I'm not qualified to be the LP nomination, then that must mean Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is qualified to How be. How dare you? Yeah, I guess he is. Uh, so any, anybody who has the politically opposite views of me is qualified to be the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee, apparently. We'll hear from Chris Spengel about that this morning at 8 a.m. Central Time. Looking forward to that. Uh, Ur's mommy dropped $20 in the tip jar this morning. Oh, thank you. She says, missed you, AP and Steffi. Hope you both feel better soon. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Another $30 donated by the end of the show, and we will unlock that bonus content and bust a famous American myth. You guys are going to really enjoy it today, so I hope we do unlock it. Uh, okay, so 8.30 a.m. Central time. Jer uh, Jeremy Ryan Slate will be joining us. Probably will be stumbling on my words today. I'll try and slow down a little bit. Jeremy Ryan Slate, I want to talk to Jeremy about a couple things. I'd like to, to hear his take on the possibility of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. taking the LP nomination. Who does he take more from if he becomes the LP nominee? This would mean that RFK, rather than being on the ballot in one state, would be on the ballot in 50 states. Who would he take more votes from, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? I think conventional wisdom would say Joe Biden, but because RFK Jr. is sort of a one-issue candidate, and I know his supporters would grouse at that, but because he's such a one-issue candidate, and because that issue is the vaccine, and because the vaccine was, you know, at least like opposition to the vaccine was mostly a right-wing phenomenon, people who are really one-issue candidates on that one issue probably come more from the right. This is just my analysis. I could be wrong. And tell me if I'm wrong. Send me a text. Uh, but my guess would be that he would probably take a little bit more from Donald Trump. Don't you think? And I know you're saying, no, 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 but he would take more from, uh, he would take more from Joe Biden because this and this and this. I really think that there's a lot more overlap with Trump's issues than I think Joe Biden's issues. So I wonder, I think he probably would take more from Donald Trump, but let's hear from Jeremy Ryan Slate about that this morning at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. And uh, I'd like to also ask him about Tucker Carlson going to interview Vladimir Putin in Russia. What are your thoughts? I mean, wouldn't we all as interviewers, wouldn't we all love for an opportunity to get that kind of an interview for sure? But there's been a lot of criticism for him, people calling him traitors. No, I don't think you're a traitor just because you go and you interview a dictator. If you would go and interview, if I could go interview Kim Jong-un and bring that interview to you for the Wake Up America show, I would absolutely do it. But of course, how you conduct an interview like that does matter. A lot of people said that he softballed his interview with Donald Trump, and I would agree because he didn't really ask him any difficult questions. Uh, and that is a question about, you know, journalistic ethics and integrity. But it's tough because, you know, in reality, if I, I as an interviewer, if I run off someone by asking them too difficult of questions, 
and I never get to interview them again, then that hurts my career. But you know, the real that's the reality that we run into in this business is that, you know, you you have to compromise to some degree in order to get the interviews that you need, but you don't want to become a puff piece person. I don't know. It's a tough one. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, though. This is a really uh, challenging question. Um, uh, Andy Opperman says he's got to go in 20 minutes. So let's watch it now. OK, Andy. You, you, you bought and paid for it, brother. Thank you very much. So we'll go ahead and play the bonus content for you today. Thank you very much, Erz, Mommy, and Andy Opperman for unlocking this great American myth that we will bust right now. Topsy the Elephant. The tragic story of Topsy the Elephant, executed at Luna Park, Coney Island in 1903, has often been wrongly linked to Thomas Edison as a gruesome part of the Battle of the Currents. Contrary to popular belief, Edison did not electrocute Topsy to demonstrate the dangers of alternating current over his direct current system. The elephant was deemed dangerous after killing a man and showing aggressive behavior. Luna Park officials, not Edison, decided Topsy's fate, initially planning a hanging but switching to electrocution with the SPCA's approval to avoid cruelty. Edison's earlier animal electrocution experiments at West Orange Laboratory, though influential, were conducted to explore humane execution methods, not to harm Topsy. The decision to electrify Topsy involved the Edison Electric Illuminating Company of Brooklyn for technical support, but Edison himself was uninvolved in the company's operations or the execution. No contemporary accounts or evidence suggest Edison's involvement in Topsy's death or the filming thereof. The association of his name with the event is largely a historical misconception. Edison's correspondence from the time makes no mention of Topsy, further distancing him from the incident and the decision to film it, which was likely motivated by public interest. The execution itself was considered humane by onlookers, though it's debatable how much they understood about electrocution. Regardless, Edison was not present or involved. Ultimately, the myth that Edison killed Topsy as part of a vendetta against alternating current is debunked, highlighting a misrepresentation of Edison's connection to the tragic event. There you go. So I hope you guys enjoyed that little bit of bonus content. It's been a famous story that I think I even learned in school that Thomas Edison was responsible for electrocuting an elephant in order to demonstrate how dangerous the uh the alternating current that was created by tesla was and that they decided to execute this elephant using thomas Ed that edison was involved in this edison was not directly involved in this the animal was slated for execution because it, it had already attacked a person uh and they were going to hang it but they decided that ex executing by electrocution was considered to be a more humane method now obviously this is a horrible and gruesome story but there are a lot of people out there especially for the people from the cult of tesla who are edison haters and they are out there spreading these lies about thomas edison this is one of the famous american myths and now it has been debunked on the show There you go. Brandon Myers also talking about another story about another elephant that was hung. That was Mary the Elephant. Look at us. Here. How That's dare you? Terrible stories. But I do love the fact that we can learn something new on the Wake Up America show. And if you enjoy this content, make sure you're clicking like and subscribing, subscribing to the channel so you can come back and join us every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. All right. Well, 
15 minutes away to listen to Ilya Shapiro, who'll be joining us to talk about the border crisis. Some people are saying Donald Trump is responsible for torpedoing this bill before he even sees the light of day. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. And uh, it's so bad on the border. I've never seen anything like it. Actually, it's one of the worst, one of the dumbest bills I've ever seen. I think it's, well, it's hard to believe because I think it probably would mean the end of the. Well, there you go. And I think a lot of Republicans know that if they cross Donald Trump on an issue like this, that they are very likely to get a primary challenge. So Donald Trump opposes the border bill. And he had a conversation with Dan Bongino about that and more yesterday. I, or excuse, yeah, yesterday, excuse me. Uh, and I found it very interesting. Let's share it with you. You are. I mean, it's just a fact. People can look up your wealth. You don't really need the donor money. It's nice. It helps. But you could run without it if you wanted to. Joe Biden can't. At what point yeah. do the donors say to this guy who cannot run without them, hey, listen, you got to go, man. You can't win. Is that a possibility? So I've been saying I don't think he makes it. I've been saying that for quite a while. And I may be wrong because there seems to be a great a loyalty to incumbency. I mean, that's just not to him. I think it's just incumbency. You're an incumbent. And, you know, there just seems to be a loyalty in both parties. And maybe, you know, sometimes you should be that. But when a guy can't answer a question and when he doesn't do the Super Bowl, you know, which would be a great opportunity, actually, this would be a good time. You don't always have to do them, but this would be a good time not to, to you know, to stay to stay right in somebody's face, especially when you have those kind of numbers. But he can't do it because he can't talk. He can't do anything. He's ruining our country, and I don't think he's going to run. I don't know if it's donors or otherwise. It might be his family. It might be something. I don't think he's yeah. going to run, but I'd like to yeah. go for him. A- I hear this a lot from people, and not just from former President Trump, that they don't think that Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee, which who could they possibly replace him with in this amount of time? It's not going to be Kamala Harris. She's so distinctly unpopular. And if you heard last week that interview that James O'Keefe managed to land over at the Veritas Project, everybody knows that if they try and remove or depose Kamala Harris, the first black woman as vice president, there's going to be a rebellion on their hands. At this point in time right now, if the election were held today, I think Donald Trump would win. I'm very curious to hear what Chris Spangle is going to have to say about this at 8 a.m. Central Time. He's he's a Trump hater. <laughs> I would say he's got maybe Trump derangement syndrome right on the level of Camelia Peterson, perhaps. Uh, no, I'm just teasing Chris, and he'll be joining us at 8 o'clock, and we'll hear from him on this one. I love this clip that I found of Donald Trump uh, being interviewed by George Stephanopoulos over the weekend. He This is one of the best turnabouts. This is one of the reasons to like Donald Trump, and one of the, this is one of the things that I think a lot of libertarians need to learn from Donald Trump is this side of him. Watch this turnabout that he does, this jab that he gets in on George Stephanopoulos immediately, showing just how sharp Donald Trump is upstairs compared to Joe Biden. Things are going to You be do sound pretty different. energized today. When you look back over the sweep of this campaign, going back to, to last June, is there anything you regret? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to have done certain things over, but you can't. You can't, but that's true in life. I'd love to have, have done in life certain things over, I guess. And you would have too. Give me one. You would have loved not to have contributed to the Clinton Foundation, as an example. There are things that you wish you didn't do, okay? You came very close to the edge. You would have loved to have had that decision over again. There are things I would have rather, you know, not happened, but George. Wait a minute, that was so fast that he just zipped him. 
I mean, he zipped him so fast. He's like, oh, we have things that we'd have to do all we over again. To. Give me one. You would have loved not to have contributed to the Clinton Foundation as an. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, I'm Austin Peterson. We're glad to have you here. Do me a favor, click like and subscribe. Yes. Looks like I'm saying, uh, Urs Mommy is saying, well, do, you, do I think that Trump could win even with the cheating? Well, you take a look and a listen to these numbers and you tell me if you think he might be within the margin of cheating. Senate Judiciary Committee, former senior advisor is Garrett Ventry. Garrett, it's good to see you. Let's show the viewer this new NBC poll. Garrett, it's brutal for President Biden. NBC says this is the biggest lead uh, Trump has had in, in 16 polls, uh, has ever had in 16 polls for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. So you see this, the numbers coming in. Wow, Trump is beating Biden across the board on a number of issues. Garrett, what do you think? Order 57% to 22%. Economy, 55% to 33%. Crime, 50% to 29%. This is an NBC poll. This is not a Fox News poll. Fox Business is just reporting this. Competence, Trump, 48% to 32%. Foreign relations, which is a big one, especially right now with Iran. This week, um, my piece over at Human Events that's coming out is about why I think Iran might be the issue that hands the election to Donald Trump because of how badly Joe Biden is botching that conflict in the Middle East. Mental and physical health, 46% to 23%. I mean, <laughs> protecting democracy. Trump, 41% to 43%. Uh, well, <laughs> that's that democracy thing that everybody loves to talk about here. Um, you know, uh, those numbers are nice, says Erz Mommy, but I'm concerned about the cheating and illegals voting. I get that. Well, what about kindergartners voting? Take a listen so to this. They did two things to the school system. Test scores went down. Education consultants, mucho dinero. Schools got a lot of money. They spend it on students, but other schools, they spend it on their Trump derangement syndrome. Remember, they're not teaching kids how to read, right? Kid, very, you know, the, the inner, in these inner city schools where we're getting to observe right now, these kids, the literacy rate is abysmal. Glassbrook Elementary in Hayward, California, they spent 250 grand of COVID cash on woke kindergarten. Yeah, what is woke this. kindergarten? Sounds a little something like this. Before Woke Kindergarten came to town, Glassbrook had a real problem on its hands. Only 8% of the students were proficient in math. Only 16% could read English. Now, after two years of Woke Kindergarten, the numbers have dropped to all-time lows, to just 4% and 12%. Two-thirds of the kids at the school don't even speak English as their first language. But don't worry. They're learning how to dismantle whiteness. Here's the founder of Woke Kindergarten. Yes, everyone, the rumors are true. I am anti-Israel. I am pro-Palestine. And I am 100% 10 toes down anti-Israel. I believe Israel has no right to exist. I believe the United States has no right to exist. White supremacy 
destroys for the sake of destruction. Remember, the kids can't read. 4% are competent in mathematics, right? This is what their teachers are teaching them in, in kindergarten. My Abolition view. destroys for the sake of creation. We are not the same. Y'all are the demons. Y'all are the villains. We've been trying to end y'all. Get free of y'all. That's Ikea Gross. Oh. If you were wondering, she goes by they, them. She says she's no an abolitionist, shit. early educator, and cultural organizer who posts her radical lesson plans on her website. Well, goody, here's a taste. Who keeps us safe? We don't police us. What paints the sky red if we give back what was taken and honor what we receive? Instead of paying for extra English tutors, the district... Think, think hard, hard, double, double, retard, yikes. Homeschool, save your children from this creature. Trust me, we are working on it. Good morning, good morning. Don't forget to text your mess, send your text messages into the show today at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. We've got a lot to talk about today, least of all the border crisis forming our on our southern border. Texas Governor Greg Abbott weighed in on the issue. Biden Take says he needs Congress uh, to give him the power to do whatever he needs to do to secure the border. The fact is, as we all saw from what President Trump did, the president of the United States has the power. I must emphasize this. Uh, there is an obligation. There are laws uh, in the United States uh, that require the president to deny illegal entry of any I illegal immigrant. And then if they do get into the United States, he has a legal obligation to detain those illegal immigrants. Joe Biden is failing at both of those duties. And that's exactly what gives Texas the authority uh, to make sure that we can step up and secure our own border and protect our own state through self-defense. There you go. Uh, Camelia, she says, uh, we and we have people on the right opposing school choice, shaking my head. Remember, Camelia, that a lot of the arguments, right-wing arguments for why they don't want school choice is because they don't want those inner-city schools or those inner-city kids to come to the good public schools and bring them down. It's an interesting argument. I wonder what your rebuttal to that would be. Don't forget, send us a text at 573-319-1586. We've got a lot more. Oh, the fastest-growing group among illegal immigrants to the United States comes from China. According to CBS News, many Chinese migrants found step-by-step -step instructions for hiring smugglers on TikTok. Yes. Of course, the social media app comes from China. Some migrants flew from China to Ecuador, which doesn't require a visa for Chinese nationals, uh, before they flew to Tijuana. There, they met smugglers and paid them each $400 to drive them to a border fence 60 miles east of San Diego, where there is a four-foot gap. One person said that they come from Yugoslavia, they left Yugoslavia, they went to Austria, they stayed there eight months, and then they knocked on this door. They didn't bust the door down to come over here. Jerry Schuster, on whose landing this gap exists, says he came to the front door. It was like four months ago, there were eight guys knocking his trees down, burning his trees on the other side. He said, please don't do that. And they started to surround him. He went home. He got his gun. He shot into the air. He got arrested, right, on his own property because he asked the illegals and the smugglers not to burn his trees, not to knock his fences down. 
and he was arrested, right? He was put in a police car for protecting his own land. Yeah. That's the situation that we're facing. And you can be as libertarian as you want when it comes to immigration. But if you believe in private property rights, this shows the corruption of the system of government that we live under, that someone isn't even allowed to protect their own private property from invasion. That's how you know that even the most pro-open borders libertarian has to admit that we have a problem in this country and we are not respecting private property, let alone the borders themselves, the national borders, which is of intense scrutiny and debate. But the government isn't even allowing citizens to protect their own private property or their own private borders, which if we do not have that, we do not have freedom. We're going to hear from Ilya Shapiro. He is a constitutional lawyer from the Manhattan Institute. He's going to join us live in five. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Thanks for waiting. Glad to have you here. Do me a favor, will you? Click that like button, subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you come back and join us here every Monday through Friday. The Wake Up America show streams live from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. It's a great way to start your day and make friends. Drop a comment down there at Rumble. Introduce yourself. We're kind of a tight-knit little freedom family over there. Uh, and, and if you'd like to send us a text message, you can do so at 573 319 one five eight six. Again, the text lines are always open, night or day, at five seven three three one nine one five eight six. All right. Well, imagine yourself an American citizen, right? Private property, right? You own a little bit of property, and it just so happens that your property is on the southern border. Well, are you able to defend your property from invaders? Uh, not if you live on the southern border of Texas, apparently. What really is the deal when it comes to the question of? Who has the constitutional authority to defend our country? Is it the federal government? Is it the state government? Is it the individual who owns the private property? You know what? I have no idea. I'm not a lawyer, but I've got some friends who are. Ilya Shapiro from the Manhattan Institute joining us live this morning. Good morning, Ilya. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. You know, I, I, I come to your show for the, the merchandise. I'm, I'm as obsessed with Javier Millet as you are, apparently. And I just bought a bomber jacket there. I hope it fits. Uh, <laughs> I have to send it back if it's, you know, we want, want to have the manufacturing quality there. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the answer you asked, whether it's the federal government, the state government, the individual, the answer is all of the above, uh, depending on the particular uh, aspect. And by the way, let's clear something up from the very beginning. There's been this narrative that Texas is defying the Supreme Court by putting up barbed wire, that's not correct at all. Uh, what the Supreme Court ruled, or not ruled, but they, they dissolved the lower court's stay. The, the lower court uh, said that the federal government cannot come in and remove the razor wire. And the Supreme Court said, well, pending appeal, we're going to remove that stay. So it did not tell Texas to do anything or not to do anything. So Texas cannot be violating a Supreme Court order. There's no order against it. All it's saying is that while this appeal is pending, uh, the uh, the federal government can go in uh, when they want and take down the wire. Uh, but that uh, leads into the larger question. The federal government does have plenary power over immigration. And by the way, immigration is different from national security. We can get to that in a moment, because I think that's the major problem with uh, this bill and the kind of the whole process that led up to it. Um, uh, states, uh, the, you know, they, they don't protect their borders against other states. 
uh, unless they're federalized, they don't really protect against uh, uh, foreign countries either. It hasn't been tested so much. Uh, and in this case, uh, they have law enforcement authority. So if people streaming over the border are violating state law, um, the state laws can't be independent immigration laws that conflict with uh, or purport to trump federal law. But there are state laws that trespassing, for example, is a, is a, is a, you know can violate that law, which relates then goes to the individual. If someone is on your property, let alone committing other crimes on your property uh, without permission, you can uh, call the cops. Uh, if you're being, you know, burglarized, you can defend yourself. There's all of those sorts of protections in place. So it's a it's a multi-layered and and different areas of law that are implicated by what's going on. Yeah, I was just reading a story before you came on about a property owner who is facing a situation where his property runs up along the fence that goes between Mexico and the United States. Now there were smugglers and there were illegal immigrants who had broken down the fence on his property and were burning trees on his property so that more people could get through uh, and immigrate to the United States. He fired a gun into the air to kind of scare him off because they were surrounding him and threatening him with violence. He gets arrested and goes to jail. He's not even allowed to defend his own private property. I mean, in theory, he's supposed to be able to do it. But what do you do if you're that property owner in that situation? You can call the cops, but they're not enforcing the law. And you're, I'm, you're you know, I'm surprised that uh, I don't know whether it's a county ordinance at that point or or a state law. I'm I'd be surprised if in Texas you don't get to fire a warning shot when uh, armed men are are coming onto your property. I'd be surprised about that. I, I would hope that he he's lawyered up and he's appealing uh, whatever process went went to him. Good luck suing the coyotes. Of course, it's not a matter. Uh, of that. Uh, but uh, th that sounds like a bizarre fact pattern. Yeah, no, for sure. What's your take, though, uh, you know, on the national security question? Let's discuss that for a moment, because when you hear the story about the fact that Chinese nationals are the fastest growing group illegally crossing U.S. borders just on the on the heels of this pandemic where the this, you know, China unleashed this pandemic on us here in the United States ostensibly a national security threat to us all. What's the what's the proper role of the government in protecting our national security from this threat? Well, uh, ironically, public health is one of the uh, main powers of uh, of defense. Uh, the, the, the reason why we have uh, uh, border security, what why the government screens uh, immigrants going back to Ellis Island days, right? The pretty much public health and criminal record, but you couldn't, you know, records weren't exactly digitized in, in 1910, uh, so hard to search, but public health was what they screened for. And that's an important concern, you know, not COVID at this point, other things, but uh, that is a concern. And by the way, we have, uh, I think uh, there, there's a myth that that uh, our, our illegal uh, immigrant problem is all Mexicans streaming across the border. That's not true. It is the Mexican border, of course, uh, but for a long time, since the Great Recession, over a decade at this point, uh, there have been more uh, illegal Asians coming in uh, all over the place, whether visa overstays or coming across the southern border or the northern border, for that matter, uh, than, than Latin ones. And of the Latin ones, they tend to be Central American. You know, the, there are terrible things happening in those Central American countries. They're coming up through Mexico and getting into uh, the United States, which raises the question, why don't they stop in Mexico? Uh, and that's why Trump, uh, President Trump negotiated the uh, remain in Mexico deal. That's tough, you know, getting Mexico to say, yeah, we'll take these 
these folks from Honduras and Guatemala and Salvador and, and, and what have you. And then Biden abrogated that. I would think that uh, just politically in terms of gamesmanship, if, if Biden actually cares about passing this bill, and it seems like neither Biden nor, nor Trump uh, want it because they think they can make, both make political hay out of it. But if Biden was serious about wanting it, the Democrats were, then Biden would reinstate, remain in Mexico and say, hey, I'm serious about my job and I want to send the signal. We don't want these people coming. Now let's talk about these other uh, uh, efforts. But that's uh, that's not so, not what what's happened. So if you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, folks, this is Ilya Shapiro. I'm speaking to from the Manhattan Institute. He's a constitutional lawyer, and we're glad to have him joining us. Live. And a double immigrant myself. And a double although, immigrant himself. Although I did not stream across the uh, the southern border. I, I enjoyed immigrating so much from Russia to Canada, had to do it again to come down to the U.S. But I tell, I'll tell you what, the immigration system is so broken, it was easier to leave the Soviet Union than it was to finally you know, get my green card and eventually citizenship. Uh, in the U.S. And that that's a problem. Our immigration system has all the wrong incentives and doesn't actually have a process for by whatever criteria you, you know, th it, there's no mission statement to it. Do we want uh, uh, unskilled laborers? Do we want professionals? Do we want rich people? There, there's no uh, rhyme or reason to it. It's often kind of self-contradictory uh, rules and regulations, barnacles on the ship of state that makes it lists to and fro. Ilya, uh, it's become, now the political question, it's become fashionable in recent years, especially on the right, to blame this immigration crisis on libertarians, that this is <laughs> the policy of libertarians, of open borders, and that the libertarians are at fault for what's happening on the southern border. How would you respond to that? Well, I was at the Cato Institute for nearly 15 years, uh, and uh, I, I tell you, the Department of Homeland Security did not uh, uh, too often call us up for advice on how to enforce uh, immigration policy. So I don't know. It's, uh, you know, uh, libertarians are supposed to be kind of extreme sidelined wackos while also uh, pulling all the strings. It's kind of like Jews. So maybe that's why the, the, the confluence of my identities are, are coming together. But, but, but to, to get back to a serious point, one of the biggest legal issues that we're facing is that uh, unlike, say, 15 years ago, um, the strategy or the tactic of those coming across the southern border is to immediately plead asylum. Because once you invoke those words, it's almost like Michael Scott in the office, I declare bankruptcy. Well, if you declare asylum that you have a fear uh, of persecution back in your home country, that triggers a whole number of laws in our country. And uh, again, barring this is why Remain in Mexico was such a, an innovation, uh, you can't be sent back at, at that point. Um, uh, you get it uh, the way it works in practice because we have so few uh, immigration uh, uh, judges. You get this court date for seven years down the line and you're just released uh, into the country and never to be uh, seen again. And so that's really what uh, what what needs legal reform, what needs congressional action uh, to fix. Just enforcing the border and doing certain things. Biden can do that with with existing authority. Uh, but there are, you know, we talked about, you know, the legal routes to come and also the asylum system. These need to be legally fixed. Do you think, uh, again, on the political question front, do you think that the reason why this crisis has has started to um, change the rhetoric, even on the left, has to do with the how the right has, has effectively bust and flown migrants from the southern border states to New York City, to Denver, Colorado? to San Francisco and to those areas that, you know, say, you know, 
let them in, let them in, let them in. But then when they get to their doorstep, all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 you can't stay here. I mean, um, it's been a fairly effective ploy by DeSantis and Abbott and others. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, I should disclose that he appointed me to a, a college board. I'm on the board of trustees of Florida Polytechnic University, uh, which is just doing tremendous things. In 10 years, it's going to be a, a national brand. It's only 10 years old. Uh, but uh, par par possibly his most uh, brilliant maneuver was sending those migrants to uh, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, that 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 was just that just crystallized uh, the issue, uh, uh, taking it to the heart of limousine liberalism, uh, and then obviously what Abbott's doing is sending them to to the blue-controlled uh, cities, who are all of a sudden saying, "What what what is this? This is supposed to be limited to those border states, those red states. I don't want to have to deal with this." And now they have severe problems. Yeah, that definitely put the pressure uh, on Democrats, put them on their back heel, uh, and uh, a lot of our discussion these days, I think, is a uh, as a knock-on effect from uh, what these uh, blue cities are feeling. Well, on an unrelated note, Ilya, you know, we both being liberty lovers and believers in limited government, uh, do you look at Javier... Viva la libertad, carajo. carajo. Exactly, that's what I'm getting to. Do you look at Javier Malay as uh, an example of something that American libertarians should seek to emulate, or is that not, re you know, replicatable here in the United States? Huh, huh. Um, well, he's he's kind of a... A populist libertarian economist. I mean, it's, he's he's a he's a unique figure. Um, I don't know about libertarians. I certainly don't know about the Big L Libertarian Party. They're uh, they're considering Robert F. Kennedy, who's about the farthest away from uh, libertarian that, that that I can imagine. Uh, I mean, I you know the the, the capital L Libertarians. I, I I'm just not going to go there. Uh, but Argentina is has always been in a unique situation. So it's I don't know how many lessons we can draw. And also, by the way, the Argentine president constitutionally has a lot more decree authority, executive order authority, if you will, than uh, the American president does. So a lot of the things that Millet has done lawfully, just with the stroke of a pen, uh, deregulating, getting rid of bureaucracies, et cetera, the, the president simply cannot do. So not, not, a, not really a governance model. And, and Argentina has just uh, swung between populisms of the left and the right and had all sorts of uh, political pathologies over the decades that uh, I don't know how much of a parallel this is. You know, economists uh, have this joke that there are four types of countries in the world. There, there's the the developed uh, industrialized world, the the underdeveloped world, uh, Japan, which has no natural resources but somehow managed to become uh, this this hyper developed country, and Argentina, which has all the resources in the world and all the uh, capacity for being just this. You know, the great landscape, just amazing. I love Argentina. I've been there a, a ton, although not for a decade. I think I'm going back for a conference this fall. I'll wear your bomber jacket. But anyway, but Argentina somehow, despite all of these advantages, has managed to be uh, underachieving uh, for all of its, uh, or at least uh, for what, since since the advent of Perón, ironically. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? And where can we follow you online? Uh, sure. Uh, I have a sub stack now. It's called Shapiro's Gavel where I share all sorts of things, whether uh, the, the cancel culture wars and the, the rot in academia, whether constitutional analysis, pictures of my kids tend to be popular. I have 15-month-old twins, they're very cute. Um, so Shapiro's gavel is the substack. Uh, and you can find all my writings uh, at the Manhattan Institute website, which is simply manhattan.institute. It's great, no.org, no.com, just manhattan.institute. You can find me there and you can find me on on Twitter slash X uh, at I Shapiro.
I have a book coming out later this year. Unfortunately, not yet available for pre-order. So I'll I'll give you the pre-pre-order information. It's called Lawless, The Miseducation of America's Future Leaders. Make sure you reach out to us and let us know when that's available for pre-order. We'll definitely have you back on the show to promote the book. Ilya Shapiro, constitutional lawyer at the Manhattan Institute. Follow him at x.com on iShapiro, that account. Thank you very much, Ilya. Viva la libertad, carajo. Hope you enjoy your bomber jacket. Have a good one. <laughs> Take care. That's Ilya Shapiro. Wasn't it great? Send us a text. What do you think of Ilya at 573-319-1586? Well, since he was talking about the bomber jacket that he bought, maybe this is a good opportunity for me to plug it. Did you guys see this awesome afuera jacket that I've got over at AP4LibertyShop.com? Now, most of you might think, oh, well, yeah, it looks like the one that Ryan Gosling wore in the movie Drive. So, yes, if you wear this shirt, you will look just like Ryan Gosling from the movie Drive. I don't think that's going to work for somebody like me. A little too old for that. Afuera, says Javier Malay. But the cool thing about this jacket is not only does it say Afuera with a picture of Havel on the back, but right here, a lot of people are missing this. It also says on the front, Viva la libertad, carajo. Viva la libertad, carajo. Viva la libertad, carajo. The Viva la Libertad Carajo Javier Malay White Bomber Tribute Jacket is for sale over at APforLibertyShop.com for $79.99. Now, here's the deal, guys. We've got a special going on. Would you like to get a free Javier Malay sticker? Yes. Well, guess what? If you buy the Javier Malay Bomber Jacket or the Javier Malay hoodie, this Afuera hoodie, you can get the sticker the Javier Malay Afuera sticker for free. Now, let me show you how to do that because people always get confused if you don't make it as simple as possible. But here's how this works. Let's say you want to get the sticker for free, right? The Javier Malay Afuera sticker. We're going to go grab it. We're going to put one of those in the cart. Let's add that to cart. Okay, boom. Now we're, we got that in the cart. Now it's like, okay, we want, we want to get that for free. Let's go get the Viva La Libertad Carajo bomber jacket. We're going to get that since I'm big old fat boy, 2XL, add to cart. Great. Now, it's, why is it making me pay for the sticker? I want to get it for free. Well, here's what you got to do. You got to put in the coupon code down here. And the coupon code, discount code is Viva Las Tetas. Viva Las Tetas. V-I-V-A-L-A-S-T-E-T-A-S. Viva Las Tetas. Tetas, and then you apply it, and then guess what? Boom, all of a sudden, total savings $8.99. There you go. It's a $9 value. You get the sticker for free. If you buy the bomber jacket, you put the sticker in your cart, you put the bomber jacket or the Afuera hoodie in your cart, use the coupon code Viva Las Tetas. Viva Las Tetas, and you will get that sticker for free. What do you guys think? Exciting? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, 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 do. All right, I've got to go to the restroom. I'm sick this morning, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the bathroom, play a little quick little commercial break. When we get back, we're going to hear from Chris Spangle. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is he going to run on the Libertarian Party's ticket? Does he have a chance to win? We'll talk about that when we get back on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. 
Viva Las Tetas. All right, no more Javier Malay talk. It's time for us to talk about the libertarian movement here in the United States. Will we be led by Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? What? What's with this? What's with all this booing? I thought you guys were excited. Finally, a chance for the Libertarian Party to be relevant. Isn't that what we should be striving for? The biggest third party in the United States, of which I was formerly a member, I have to say, you know, this might be their opportunity to finally win it all. Well, maybe we should get a voice of reason in here. Chris Spangle is who I call whenever I need somebody to bring me back down to earth. He is the founder of We Are Libertarians and the host of The Chris Spangle Show. Joining us live right now. Good morning, Chris. How are you, sir? Good morning, Austin Peterson. How are you this morning? I'm doing good. Boy, there's something very familiar about all this. This are the arguments that are happening right here in 2024 about who should be the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee. At first, I thought it was going to be this Dr. Michael Rechtenwald character from Mises. Then I heard Dave Smith was he was going to run, but then he declined to run. Now he might run again. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. might want to get on the ballot line. Um, at least it's interesting. What's your take on what's going on, Chris? Sort of feels like an argument between a uh, grassroots guy and maybe a former two-term governor. <laughs> has, a, <laughs> has that eerie feeling, but honestly, uh, I'll take the two-term New Mexican governor over uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. any day of the week. I don't, I don't understand. Like, I saw somebody say, oh, well, Robert Kennedy Jr. is infinitely better than Bill Weld. I'm like, what <laughs> the guy that wants fifteen dollar minimum wage and wants to fund the World Health Organization and pushes con- be debunk conspiracy theories? Like I, I, there's so many problems with Robert Kennedy Jr. that it makes Joshua Smith look good. And Joshua and I have had plenty of disagreements going back to 2018. Like I'd happily vote for Joshua Smith over Robert Kennedy Jr. And I never thought I'd say that in a million years. <laughs> Politics makes strange bedfellows. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. needs to get on the ballot. Uh, He's got, you know, very strong name ID. He would probably poll fairly well. I mean, these are the same arguments that they made in favor of Governor Gary Johnson. But these are the arguments that actually sway people who have the money to go and vote at these kinds of conventions. Typically, Chris, I mean, am I wrong? I mean, doesn't RFK Jr. probably stand a pretty good shot for it if he does go for it? I don't know about that because, you know, so for so many years, the charge has been, why are we bringing in Republicans that can't run in their own party? Why are we going back? You know, that even though Justin Amash, I think in many ways, he's like, to me, uh, philosophically, the perfect candidate. Tactically, I don't know that he has it. But, um, you know, uh, the, the argument was not another one, not another Gary Johnson, not another Bob Barr, not another Wayne Allen Root. And the people who are in my opinion, in the party now are are really close to Trump and closet Trump fans, uh, much more than maybe the classical liberal orthodox libertarian party you and I were in. They're bringing in somebody from the left, somebody who has a tremendous amount of leftist points of views and is far down that spectrum compared to any one of those former milquetoast Republicans that they ran against that helped them do the takeover. So I think it would be hard sell. I think it. I, I, I'm not familiar with the makeup of the delegation, I, and I think that's the key thing: is who's left, right? So many people like you and I who were active in the 2000s and 2010s because we were activated by Ron Paul are gone, are grill pilled. We're not following politics because we're having families and smoking meat, uh, and so that that kind of old classical guard, uh, 
the David Bowes libertarians, the Cato libertarians, they're not as active. Um, the Mises folks are falling off. You know, membership is down by a third. So who shows up, right? Is it just people who are single issue voters who care about vaccines and not funding Ukraine? And uh, that really, to me, is the appeal for Robert Kennedy Jr. Like, it's not his policies. It's about feeling right and feeling vindicated on vaccines. And do you get enough of those people showing up to a convention that they're going to put in somebody that fundamentally disagrees with the non-aggression principle? And I think moving away from the non-aggression principle, of which I blame you wholeheartedly. Uh, I'm kidding. But um, I think that moving away from just the idea that we should be as close to not using force to advance social and political goals has been a net negative for the Libertarian Party because now they're advocating for someone that wants to put the Koch brothers in jail for disagreeing on climate issues. The guys that literally built the libertarian movement and the libertarian party like you couldn't be more polar opposite from the right wing libertarianism of our age. And those guys who are more right wing than we were are putting in a leftist. It, it just I think that's just too confusing and too messy. I don't know that it could happen. Now you say, Chris, that you think that RFK Jr. would face a challenge, that it would be a struggle for him to get the nomination. Why? I just think he's too far away. I think the delegates prefer to play it safe, and they always have. And, and even the grassroots libertarians in the Mises caucus are not as radical as online folks. And I think this is something that like the classical liberal caucus, the radical caucus, folks don't get. When you have conversations with people who are in the Mises caucus, who are just rank and file dudes, who just kind of agree with their politics and like their style a little more than maybe the style that I brought to the table in 2010 and 12. Like they're not fringe people, you know, and they're really looking to advance liberty. And I think if you really scratch the surface, I mean, the biggest, um, I think you're seeing the fracturing now, like the guy that is bringing him to the California convention, there's just a certain element of these guys that are looking to, destroy the Libertarian Party, and then the rank and file want to build the Libertarian Party up. And I think you're going to see that fracture within even the Mises caucus start to really play out during convention season. And there be a backlash of people who, you know, look, we've had enough of the Jeremy Kaufmans, right? They're the perennial defenders of Dave Smith and Angela McArdle. They're They're done with that guy, right? Because they're done with the bad messaging because they know it's reflecting poorly on them. And I think bringing in Robert Kennedy Jr. is just a, a step too far. And there feels a little bit to me like the LP of California is trolling everybody with this. And that doesn't play well with rank and file regular folks in, in any caucus. What about the Dave Smith factor? You brought him up. People, you know, he declined to run, but I think he probably feels a little threatened by the possibility of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running. Do you think he jumps back in if? rfk jr really looks at it dave smith's legacy is on the line he is the driver of the takeover he is the driver of and he claims it he's bragged about it and he's going to try and weasel out of it eventually but his legacy is on the line and if dave smith does not deliver in 2024 then it looks poorly it reflects poorly on him he's done a lot to bring new people to the table now what does he do with those people right it's one thing to have a good first impression and to get people to explore but how do you get people to buy in and then execute your vision? 
And that is, I think, something that we have seen not work out well for the Mises caucus. And, you know, if you're Dave Smith, you may have agreements with Robert Kennedy Jr. But I think fundamentally, Dave Smith is a rock rib libertarian who understands the principles, who can articulate it well and would look at somebody like Robert Kennedy Jr. with skepticism as the party's standard bearer. I, I think he would completely pollute the message that Dave Smith and Michael Heiss and the Mises caucus has been trying to execute. Robert Kennedy is not Ron Paul. And Ron Paul, bringing Ron Paul's vision to the Libertarian Party was the point of all of this. So I, I've said on this show, like Dave Smith made the right decision not running. You know the personal cost to it. You know the time that it takes. I have never, I, I, I said this to Michael Reckenwald, like if, if running is harming your family and your job, you should not do it. It is not worth it. It is a thankless job. You will get no thank yous. You will get divorced. You will lose your job like very near past LP candidates have. And you will be a pariah, right? So what's the point of running, right? It's really a thankless job. But I think if you are in Dave Smith's position, you've got to execute your vision. Like his legacy is on the line. And if this takeover was all just for naught, then I think people are going to have a really hard time trusting the Mises caucus's leadership moving past 2024. The, the party will give them a chance this one time. But if you can't beat Gary Johnson's numbers like you promised to do, then you're going to have a hard time. And that's really hard now that y'all have messed up 50 state ballot access, which I don't think Robert Kennedy understands that the party's not going to get. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so let's just refresh for those who might just be tuning in. Good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching the Wake Up America show. This is Chris Spangle from We Are Libertarians and the host of the Chris Spangle show joining us live. We're talking a little bit about some of the intrigue in the Libertarian Party nomination, specifically surrounding Robert F. Kennedy Jr. flirting with the possibility of trying to get on the Libertarian Party's ballot line so that he can get ballot access. Yeah, last I heard it was like 38 states, but possibly not the entire 50 states that RFK would want. But let's say, uh, let's let's war game here for just a minute, Chris, and let's just say that the Libertarian Party decides that they need the name ID of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in order to raise money, in order to get media attention, in order to accomplish all the things that they want to accomplish this year to get to stay on the ballot and get, you know, in a lot of states, if their presidential candidate gets a high enough percentage of the vote total that guarantees them ballot access, they may be willing to do a deal with the devil in order to ensure that, Chris. So if that does happen and that scenario, you know, unfolds, I mean, what is the what, what do you see happening in a general election with RFK and let's let's say 38 states, including many of the battleground states, Trump versus Biden? Does he take more from one or the other? And then what happens to the LP? Your thoughts. Yeah, let's start with the LP. What you just outlined is exactly what all of these guys ran against. Gary Johnson ran against you and, and won and did okay in, was it 2012? 2016. And yeah. 20, yeah. And then in 2016 felt he needed more media and more money. So that's why he attached himself to Bill Weld, who had deep pockets access to money, access to media, and was plugged into the DC network. And that is why I ran a Gary Johnson for President podcast feed. I posted about 20 interviews in 2012. In 2016, it was like 20 a week. And that exposure and that money is what drove them to record successes where eight states got ballot access for the first time, including Ohio. 
and it allowed hundreds of other candidates, including elected officials in Ohio, to win, right? And that was always my argument that Gary Johnson was successful. But people in the Mises caucus and those involved in the takeover argued that that's not good enough. We need principled libertarian. It's not about the pragmatism of winning and ballot access. We need to move away from spending party money on ballot access. We need to stop being pragmatic and start being principled. And if we're principled, then the magic of our ideas will just bring in all these new people. And now we're at the point where they lost a third of the membership and they're desperate. So they're going to somebody who is pragmatic. And this is a prediction that I, I said in 2018. They will go pragmatic because that's the only way to operate a political party is to go for someone who has a lot of name ID because they failed for four years to build it. They're going after someone who is pragmatic but doesn't believe in libertarian ideas because they failed to secure someone who could do it. It is an absolute catastrophic failure of Mises leadership over the last four years. And they should be ashamed of themselves and they should be apologizing and they need to do something to fix it before the convention or else this will be their legacy. And in terms of how RFK would play out in an election on a libertarian ballot, I don't think that he would get, you know, with Indiana, for instance, you are secured 32,000 guaranteed libertarian votes. You will automatically receive 32,000 libertarian votes. And if you're Don Rainwater running a pragmatic, classically liberal campaign for governor, you can build on that to get up to, you know, where he was winning second place in 32 counties for governor in 2020, right? Uh, you can build on that base. I think Robert Kennedy Jr. would see a ton of that base erode. Uh, I don't think that you'd see a lot of the libertarian base show up for him. I think you'd see a lot of new people move in from the right and the left. The thing about RFK Jr. is he's the perfect horseshoe candidate where he he sort of joins that. You know, when we were coming up in politics, it was the crazy lefties who were the anti-vaxxers who didn't wear aluminum deodorant and sort of smelled funky. Right. And now sort of the prepper right wing crowd has kind of merged in with them and they're creating a new populist form of politics that is anti-war, which is good, anti-vaccine, questionable, uh, and doesn't really know what to believe on, on domestic issues other than we're sort of against it and we really have no other plan. And so I think Robert Kennedy's domestic plans, once he starts to speak to the libertarians and to the right wingers, they will go, ooh, this guy is not who I expected. I, I am not for a third authoritarian option. And uh, I don't think he is the salvation that they're hoping for. Would he get more than Mike Meertot? Would he get more than Michael Rechtenwald? Would he get more than probably Dave Smith even? Yeah, I, I, I agree. But that's a Pyrrhic victory. And that's not what we were promised in the takeover. We were promised an absolute defeat of of all the leftists in the party there were 12 people who were libertarian socialists that showed up to, up to that 2018 convention and the whole Mises wing and Joshua Smith were arguing against these 12 people and how they were taking over the party we need to find leftist infiltration and then you're going to bring in Robert Kennedy Jr there's no way I'm voting for that I'd vote for Dave Smith I'd vote for Mike Meertot I'd think about voting for uh Rechtenwald but there's absolutely no way a, a grassroots libertarian affiliated person like me is going to vote for Robert Kennedy Jr. I'll set it out. I just won't vote. So is the best case scenario then for the LP for Dave to recant and to come and to run? 
I think if Dave Smith were what we used to call a paper candidate, it'd still be better than nothing. You know, Dave Smith has the 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 broadcasting apparatus to run a campaign the way that Benjamin Harrison ran a campaign in the 1890s. 300,000 people showed up to Indianapolis to hear him speak on his front lawn and he never left his house. You know, and I think that is what what we learned from um uh who's the lady that ran last time? Um oh um Joe Jorgensen. Joe Jorgensen. Jorgensen killed herself on that bus tour. Destroyed so many pieces of her life doing a bus tour. And still people were and, and the first time a libertarian party candidate has come to Indiana. One of the strongest states in the entire network. We'd never gotten one of these candidates to come here, except for Gary Johnson a couple times, uh, which was a feat of victory. That translated into nothing. It, it, it translated into a solid list that the Mises caucus lost. right? Uh, and so I think if you're Dave Smith, you just go, look, I'm just going to podcast a presidency, a presidency and a podcast. I'm going to set up a podcast feed. I'm going to buy a podium for 150 bucks on Amazon, set up a green screen, and I'm going to get a weekly speeches about what I'm going to do as president. I'm going to try and get into the debates uh, and let the party, let the Mises caucus organize. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I think that would be a better campaign for the Libertarian Party because you've got someone who is gifted at messaging versus somebody who doesn't believe in libertarianism finishing off the party because it will be it because classical liberals like me, you know, the, the project liberal guys have already said if 20, we don't win at the convention in 24, we're starting our own party. The Mises caucus guys have been eroding lots of membership, right? And they're not inspired and ready to go in 2024, which is what they've been building towards. They're going to just vote for Trump. They're going to leave the party. And then who's left like 14 people at the convention. Like it was 1982 again. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a big year for the Libertarian Party. I don't know how much of a future there is if the Mises caucus doesn't execute well this year. So, uh, Chris, the scenario that will unfold if the current trends continue, which is that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. might not seek the nomination of the Libertarian Party. Dave Smith says he won't run for president. And then at this point, we're left with Michael Rechtenwald, Josh Smith, all these people. What does that scenario uh, play out like? Similar to just Dave Smith, just kind of a paper candidate, similar to Joe Jorgensen, or you know what plays out in that scenario? Because that's the most likely one right now if current con trends continue. I think Chase Oliver is going to be the dark horse. I think you're going to see Chase Oliver sneak in, and people don't think that the classically liberal orthodox libertarians who ran the party for so long have enough votes to get chase oliver in there but i think there's some momentum building he had a pretty good week at uh, students for liberty conference he is traveling the country he has been in every libertarian party state that i've seen i think he could really surprise people i think rectenwald will kind of fall apart i think personally there's there's just uh, there's a lot going on there with Rechtenwald. And I think even the Mises caucus leadership is going, I don't know if, about this. Uh, Mirtot has been around. I don't know that he has the. He's like a Jorgensen choice to me, right? Uh, where Chase Oliver did so well in that 2022 uh, Georgia race and has campaign experience and has an experienced team uh, and has a lot of data and has a lot of momentum. I think. 
you could see Chase Oliver squeak it through. It just depends on Mises people motivating people to show up to their convention versus everybody else, right? So, you know, conventions, it is just about who you get to sign up for a delegate. And like in Indiana, for instance, I hadn't been a Libertarian Party member for like four or five years. And they convinced me to join just to help them to get more delegate spots. And Indiana has a ton of delegate spots because these anti-Mises caucus states were organizing very hard to get more delegate spots. And uh, there, I don't know that there was that same organization in terms of driving delegates in the Mises crowd. So we'll see. I, but I think if that happens, you'll see Chase Oliver win the nomination. That's an interesting POV, and the, you're the only person I, who could answer that question like that, and I'm so glad I have your expertise here, but I did promise I would get you out by 8.30, which means I've only got like a minute or two left with you, Chris. Sure. Uh, one last question. If Robert F. Kennedy Jr. does take the Libertarian Party's nomination and we're faced with that scenario, do you truly believe that he takes more from Trump or from Biden? Just straight out. What do you think? I think he's a pure third-party candidate. And the thing that we've always found in every single, every single survey, every single exit poll that I've ever seen here in Indiana, the libertarian candidate polls one to two percent from each side, and then they activate 90 to 95 percent new voters. And the whole myth of it being a stolen vote with third parties doesn't bear out in data when you actually look into it. I've spent 15 years documenting this, as has Ballot Access, uh, Ballot Access News. I mean, you know, David Bowes at the Cato Institute wrote an ebook and studied this. I think Robert Kennedy pulls evenly from Trump and Biden and doesn't cost either one of them. But what I think he does is he says to millions of Americans, your voice is actually on the ballot, which is the whole point of democracy, not the duopoly, but democracy is that there are 15 different visions of where America ought to go. I finally see mine on the ballot. I'm going to vote for that guy instead of just staying home and feeling disenfranchised and not making the effort to go vote. So I, I don't know what those percentages are. Maybe let's say 10 from each, but I think he pulls evenly. I think, you know, the, the anti-vaccine right and left, are that's sort of the mobilization and, and within the libertarians. Um, it's unfair to lay Biden's loss at Robert Kennedy. You lay Biden's loss on Joe Biden. You lay Donald Trump's loss on Donald Trump. That's why Donald Trump, Donald Trump lost 2020 to a geriatric. He didn't, he didn't get beaten or have the vote stolen from him. He was a pathetic candidate like Joe Biden is. And it's on them. It's not on the third party candidate. Chris Spangle, your unique point of view is cherished. Thank you for being so generous with your time this morning. Where can people find out more about your work online and follow you? Go find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com and just search Chris Spangle in your podcast app and you'll find all of my shows. There you go, Chris Spangle. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I'm grateful for your unvarnished opinion on these things. Have a wonderful day. Love you, buddy. Thanks. Love you too. That's Chris Spangle from We Are Libertarians. Give him a follow. You can find him over at x.com at chris spangle star spangled chris he's as american as he gets and libertarian as hell probably more libertarian than i am love to hear from you send us a text at 573-319-1586 that's 573-319-1586 kermode bear says great interview again austin you bring in the most interesting people oh thank you sir thank you
Mighty Megatron says, I'm independent and I'm voting Trump. Interesting. Ur's mommy asks, so this guy doesn't think there was cheating done in 2020? Question mark. Oh. Uh, and no one wants a Kennedy, says, look, it's Liz. No one. Are you sure about that? I think there are some people who do want a Kennedy. Have you been enjoying the Wake Up America show? Good. Click like, subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you come back and join us here on the regs. The Wake Up America show is brought to you in part by viewers and listeners just like you. Have you got a product or a service that you'd like to advertise? Make sure you get in touch. You can contact contact the Wake Up America show to sponsor to be uh, to sponsor the show and to have your product or service read out loud by me here on the air. So go to wakeupamericashow.com. You can click the contact page and send us a message and tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what it is you'd like to advertise and you can get your message out to well, well that's about a million people a month who get to hear the Wake Up America show, either through rumble.com, through our downloads of our audio podcast, or through our social media. It's a great way to get the message out and let people know what it is that you're selling because we sell a lot of stuff here, a lot of our own products and merchandise, including our Javier Malay merch. Did you guys see the video that I was playing a little bit earlier before the interview? Javier Malay. Is he a butt man or a boob man? He is a tetas. El chat pregunta, tetas o culos, pero no sé, no. Tetas. Tetas, dice. Tetas. las tetas. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had to do it. Create a Javier Malay. Viva las tetas shirt that you can find at ap4libertyshop.com. That's AP, the number four, ap4libertyshop.com. How do, what, how do you say that, by the way? I need to, I'm going to learn Spanish just for that reason alone. Tatetas o culos? Viva las tetas. Viva las tetas. Glad to have you here on the Wake Up America show. Tucker Carlson making a lot of news these days. He was spotted in the kremlin in moscow the question is was did he have a sit-down interview with vladimir putin um tucker carlson um uh, he had a, uh, some comments to say about robert f kennedy jr as well the other day take a well, listen to this I, i'll just say I, I i know bobby kennedy well and i admire him i don't agree with him on everything but i think he's an honest person i think he's right i think it's it's he's just like trump in this way bobby kennedy's most controversial opinions are the truest ones I believe that. It's funny, and, and Trump is exactly the same way. Build a wall was considered like completely outrageous. That's like the most obvious, and I don't just mean with Illinois, but like on our national borders. That was the most obvious observation. Oh, yeah, why wouldn't you have a wall? You know, we've paid for walls in a bunch of other countries around the world because borders make countries. It's uh, very obvious. So yeah, Bobby Kennedy's uh, an enormously brave person, and I happen to know a, a very decent person. Um, Bobby Kennedy is an old-fashioned liberal of the kind I grew up with and always made fun of because, you know, the whole organic peanut butter, you know, unshaven armpit thing. But, you know, in middle age, I like organic peanut butter, actually, and I don't mind. I don't care if you shave your armpits, actually. Sorry. What I care about is, like, living in a free society. And I don't 
if your default is hurting people, whether it's babies or foreign populations, I'm not for that, actually. It's really easy to hurt people. It's really easy to destroy things. Super easy. What's hard is to build things. That's incremental. That can't be done in a day. And so, you know, I'm all for a strong national defense. I, I think we should defend ourselves against school nurses as well, as I told you. Uh, but anyone who gets too excited about cluster bombs, you're, you're not my kind of person, actually. Sorry. I'm just I'm not into that. Actually, I am a Christian, and I just I don't like it. I don't I don't like all the people who get visibly aroused when they're talking about bombing civilian populations. I think it's disgusting. Um, and so I do think there's an innate decency in him uh, that I admire. And he's also last thing I'll say he's a he's a true and sincere sportsman, and that's very meaningful to me. And the destruction of nature uh, in the the climate cult is one of the most upsetting things ever. I mean, in the now, Robert F. Kennedy, definitely a member of that climate cult. What's your Jeremy Ryan Slate. He's got an opinion on this. I want to hear his take on Tucker Carlson visiting Moscow. Is he a traitor? Or is he a hero? Let's hear from Jeremy when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise in Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad to have you here. Do me a favor, click that like button and subscribe to the channel if it's your first time watching and listening to the Wake Up America Show. We'd love to have you come back here and join us. We consider ourselves freedom friends. So drop a comment, introduce yourself, get comfortable, maybe grab yourself a little bit of a snack and let's get on the road. Monday through Friday, the Wake Up America Show streams live two hours in the morning, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. So come back and join us here. All right. Well, we've had some incredible guests on the show, and certainly my next guest is definitely going to match up and align with that. You guys have been really excited to meet all these new names and faces. Of course, we've got lots of regular guests, but every once in a while, I like to surprise you with somebody special. My next guest, his name is Jeremy Slate. He is a CEO, an entrepreneur, a podcaster himself, the host of the CYOL podcast, and a CEO of CYB Media, a podcast agency. That's why his camera looks so incredibly beautiful, and his microphone sounds good, too. <laughs> That's helpful for things like this, isn't it, Jeremy? Good morning. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to be here hanging out, um, and appreciate the kudos, too. Always, always here to, to you know, lend a helping hand when needed. Well, uh, Jeremy, I'm glad you reached out to me last night. They were having a conversation on TimCast talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. potentially being the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee. And you were telling me that they had mentioned it, uh, my 2016 presidential campaign to sort of compare and contrast what's happening now with what happened in 2016. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Jeremy? I, I, because uh, our audience, this is, is you know, kind of fresh to your POV on things. What's your take on what's happening within the Libertarian Party right now, one, and then two, the possibility of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. being on their ballot line? Well, I guess I'll, I'll say first and foremost, you know, I was a registered Libertarian at one time, but I found I'm not Libertarian cool enough to be a Libertarian because this is what they were talking about last night on TimCast. Like, you know, libertarians can be really tough in what they expect from their candidate, man. Like they, they, I think sometimes they would rather lose and say everything was 100% libertarian than kind of do something that may win in some, in some ways. And I think that's one of the things they gave you a hard time on is, you know, when you ran, uh, Josh Smith was talking about you being probably the best candidate in that group, but 
you didn't want to sell drugs to kids and that was just wasn't libertarian enough and i think that's a difficult thing um you know i do consider myself a little bit more conservative in some ways but when you when you look at it the problem with rfk is like just straight up he's not a libertarian you know he's not even a conservative if you want to look at it that way if you, he he's somebody that he's been great on medical freedom and personally that's the thing i've really gotten excited with him about um his anthony fauci book was incredible it was well written but if you look at it you know he's for a lot more government control i don't know if you've heard of the uh program he wanted to run he wanted to run this weird mortgage program where they would do government supported mortgages for low-income people and like that's that's not capitalism man that that's a, a social control of the economic system and also as well you know he's he's been flip-flopping on the second amendment i've heard him say two totally different things when he first launched his campaign he talked about on a twitter space you know i support the second amendment as as it's written and you know i wouldn't do anything about it but then there's other things where he said you know if the bill was presented to me i would of course sign the bill to you know ban the second amendment so at the same time like number one what does he believe and number two somebody that's that social what social control is not a libertarian so i just don't understand how how they think unless unless you're going to have kind of these classical liberals that decided that the democratic party wasn't a fit for them anymore and that's why they became libertarians like i don't understand who would vote for him frankly no that's an interesting uh analysis the problem of course lies with the intersection of necessity and with pragmatism because on one hand, the Libertarian Party needs a strong candidate with, I mean, near universal name ID in order for them to accomplish their goals in getting ballot access, getting media attention. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. ostensibly provides them with that. Then on the pragmatic side of things, if the Libertarian Party wants to be taken seriously, they're going to run someone who can actually accomplish those goals. So pragmatism and necessity would dictate that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is would be a likely candidate. Do you think that he could win the nomination? So I, I guess if you look at it, I think he's a legitimate like third party contender. I do see that. Um, I just I don't know if he could win the nomination. And once again, I'm, I'm not a libertarian, so I don't know the inner workings of the party and things like that, because I, I think you have kind of this. You have left-leaning libertarians and you have right-leaning libertarians, right? So they, they kind of intersect in the idea of, you know, freedom from government intervention, a lot of things, but they, there is a leaning, right? There isn't just a, a one way of looking at things. I think you're going to get a lot of pushback from more of the right-leaning libertarians. Um, and once again, it's personal experience, but those are a lot more of the people in my life that, you know, just frankly wouldn't vote for them. And I understand what you're saying and it makes a ton of sense, but I, I guess you look at it, well, wouldn't somebody like, you know, Dave Smith or somebody like that be a better candidate because people know who he is. But I, I think to say, you know, Robert F. Kennedy is a good choice. Like he, he's essentially just a, a Democrat that wasn't allowed to be running as a Democrat. So that doesn't exactly make him a libertarian. But at the same time, you're correct. Like you do need some star power to run the presidency. Doesn't matter what party you're from. So if you don't have that, you're you're running at a disadvantage. Oh, for sure. Um, if Robert F. Kennedy Jr. were to become the Libertarian Party's nominee, do you see him taking more from one side or another or equally from both? I've been back and forth on this, and I've heard a lot of really good analysis on it. And I actually think he hurts Trump more than he hurts Biden. And, and the reason I say that is there's still a lot of people that I know personally that are still 
like, I don't know why Trump won't stop talking about, well, we, we created the best vaccine. It was the best vaccine ever. We did it so fast. And there's a lot of people that don't like him for that. And I, th I think that's what mainly what caused the rift between him and DeSantis is you had a lot of people that like his policy, which is what DeSantis was, but they could not understand how he handled the pandemic as he did. And when you look at that, there's a lot of people that are not going to go back on that. So to me, I think if RFK runs, I think it actually hurts Trump and it's actually something that helps Biden. You're going to you're going to see, um, you know, more of that Ralph Nader effect or something like that, where a third party does pull a lot more and it ends up hurting the, the Republican candidate here. So it, you think that the the vaccine issue has really become more of a of a right wing issue in recent years, Jeremy? It's come up a lot for me in conversations. It's been and it's it's interesting, too, because I've asked a lot of Trump insiders on my podcast, you know, like. What is he going to do about this? And and the, the the viewpoint on it is, well, we didn't know as much and we we've learned a lot more. But at the same time. When you look at that, like, shouldn't he be talking about it differently now? Then I think that's the main issue, Austin. I think if he came in and he said this was something brand new, we didn't know everything about it. We tried the best we could. And, you know, I'm a businessman. I had the idea if we get this vaccine, then we can go back to life as normal. And that's what I wanted for everyone. But instead, he's still talking about how it's so great and we rushed it through so fast and we got it out there. So I think America is willing to forgive you if you're willing to admit your fault. But I think the problem is he just keeps standing on the pedestal on it. And you can't do that, man. I think that's why Republicans won't forgive him. Wow. So that's a pretty bold claim that he is likely to win the nomination of the Republican Party but then ultimately suffer a defeat in the general on that issue? Would you make that claim or is that too far? I would say that's only if RFK or a strong third party runs. If a strong third party, if strong third party does not run, then I think that there's enough hate for Biden that even people that don't like Trump but hate Biden would vote for him. So I think that's the really important point. Without the third party, none of this works because I think you have a lot of people that OK, well, it's not Joe Biden and it's not Kamala Harris and it's not Big Mike or whoever it may be in the background. Um, it, it's definitely uh, something a little bit softer with RFK and I can stand behind that. But I think when when if you take that out of the analysis, it's not really something people will move on. Now, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he may or may not run for the Libertarian Party nomination. If he does, that'll certainly uh, make things very interesting. If he doesn't, then we'll be likely to see, you know, maybe a Josh Smith or a Michael Rechtenwald uh, Libertarian Party candidate, and that would be fine. But more than likely in that scenario, it would be a Trump versus Biden head to head matchup without a real serious third party candidate to actually challenge them. Would you agree with that? No, I would agree with that 100 percent, because I, I think that the, the important point is, you know, um, you know, I listened to that interview with Josh Smith last night. I think he makes a lot of great points, but I don't think somebody like him or Michael, Michael Rechtenwald has enough national appeal, right? A lot enough national knowledge to, to kind of sway people from Trump or Biden. So I think in, unless that third party is somebody like an RFK, I don't think there is enough to kind of sway it. I think it really does become, um, you know, Trump against Biden. And but dude, like, does Biden really make it to November? Like the guy is not to say Trump is a, is a spring chicken, but like, you know, he's an old, you know, whatever he is, 78 or whatever he is, man. So it's just like at the same time, I, I don't even know if it's Trump against Biden and maybe Trump against somebody else by that point.
No, for sure. And uh, I just want to reset for those who might just be tuning in and ask themselves, who the, who's that handsome guy that is there on their screen? Well, it's me, Austin Peterson. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Jeremy Slate joining us live this morning. He's a CEO of his own podcast network. It's definitely something to be admired. And he is also the host of his own talk show, the CYOL podcast. You can find him at jeremyryanslate.com. And of course, Follow him on x.com at that same <clears throat> username. Let's talk a little bit about this big trending news story, Jeremy, that we're discussing. We were discussing earlier today. Tucker Carlson potentially going to Moscow to interview Vladimir Putin. Hero, traitor, something in between. Your take. Well, if you ask Adam Kinzinger, everybody that doesn't wear a Ukrainian flag is a traitor in this point in time. And so I guess here's the problem, right? Was it, was it Barbara Walters like 30 years ago that had interviewed Putin? Like, I don't understand why it's suddenly wrong to interview the guy. Like, cause here, here's, here's, my, here's my thought process on it. Why are we not allowed to hear other people's opinions and thought processes? Because then can't we truly understand an argument? So I think it's a great idea, um, but I think the, the powers, that are, powers that be are not very happy with it because at the same time, I think Putin's aggression isn't really something that's great. But if you understand the background, you can only poke a bear so many times before they actually do something. You know, you look at uh, what Victoria Newland and, and that whole crew did with the, the Maidan revolution in 2014 and onward. So it's like we've caused a problem. And now it's like it's like the kid that gets another kid to beat him up and then is like, I didn't do it. Wasn't me. Right. Like, and I think that's exactly what we've done in this situation. So to me, I would like to understand, like, how does Putin think? Why is he doing what he's doing? What is his economic policy? What is his thought process? Because all we've gotten is, if you listen to a news story, they play, they play him speaking in Russian. So, you know, I don't speak Russian. And then they give you their opinion on it. I would like to hear what does the man actually think and what does he actually have to say? Will I agree with it? I don't know. I haven't heard it. And that's why I think it's important to get that. But to me, you know, I, I think Adam Kinzinger had, had literally called him a traitor on X the other day. That's the, the viewpoint of the, the powers that are established. Yeah, for sure. And listen, if you're in this business, you and me and, you know, any other podcaster out there, anybody with an audience, and, you know, Tucker Carlson really is, at this point, he's a podcaster to, to an extent, um, we would all jump at the opportunity to have that kind of an interview. There's, there's nobody who does what we do that wouldn't do that. But, you know, just for a little pushback here, I think that the concern is, is that Tucker Carlson perhaps might provide an interview that's sympathetic to a dictator. I mean, if you remember, he did do an interview with Donald Trump where he gave him pretty much mostly softballs and there wasn't any pushback. I mean, they do murder journalists in Russia, right? So it's not like Vladimir Putin is really that great of a guy. You can say what you like about Joe Biden or Donald Trump, but they're not having reporters killed who ask them difficult questions here. So in some ways, I mean, can Tucker Carlson even get an actual fair and you know ethical interview out of someone uh, it, underneath these kinds of circumstances? That's a difficult question. How would you respond to that? You know, I, I, I don't think I have a great response to that because that is, that is a big problem. But at the same time, you know, you look at what happened uh, with Gonzalo Lira in Ukraine and, you know, I would beg to differ that we also allow things to happen to reporters here in the U.S. So I think it is also a dangerous time to be a reporter. I would hope that Tucker's personal ethics would make him push a little bit harder. I do agree that interview with Trump was a lot of softballs, um, but I would hope his personal ethics would, would make him push a little bit harder on that. And I guess the thing you have to consider is 
well, he didn't go live from Russia, so it still has to be edited. So maybe they can bring it back here and, and he can actually play the version of the interview he wants to play. Um, I don't know. Um, honestly, I would hope his personal ethics would would push him to, to do something that is right and not just something to, to make make Putin look good. Because at the same time, like then you're just scoring a big interview. And what's the point? Like to me, I think the right conversation here can actually end this conflict. And I, I think that's what we should be talking about. Okay, well, expand on that, if you would. Well, I th because we're getting only the viewpoint of what the media says about Putin, not what he has to say. Once again, I'm not saying he's right, but I'd like to hear what he has to say, because then once we have words and ideas, you can come to a resolution rather than blowing each other up. But I think where we're at right now is just, you know, Putin bad. We don't know anything he says. They play a recording in Russian. We have no clue. And at the same time, they do the same thing with it, like they did with Trump with the very fine people thing. They there's been citations of um, talking about Putin saying, oh, I want to reunite the Soviet Union. When if you actually read the full context of the speech they were pulling it from, he was talking about those days are past and that's some, not something we could do anymore. So I think, too, I would like to get full context because if you have communication, a lot of times you can solve things. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but I think it would be better than what we're doing now. It's good to hear. Uh, this is something I've been asking all of my guests. It's a little unrelated this morning, but I'm curious your thoughts, Jeremy. What do you think of uh, the uh, uh, Argentinian president, Javier Malay? Um, I think the chainsaw is pretty cool. Um, I, 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 you know what I mean? Like, I, I would love to, to see some chainsaws. And I think I haven't been following it as close as I was right after he took power, but it seemed like right away he was starting to cut the fat. Um, so I would like to see more of where that goes. And I think if he takes advantage of this time, we have we have the ability to see what libertarianism can do at scale. And I think if we can see kind of like a like a you know a miracle of economics here, I think it might make people pay attention and look. So to me, that's what I'm excited about. I haven't paid as much attention in recent days, but I was you know right away when he was talking about okay, we're gonna remove this benefit and remove that benefit and. I think a lot of times if you could start taking those things out, then you can start to cut waste. You know, we could learn a lot from that here. Jeremy, where can people find out more about your work and your show online and follow you? They could check me out over at jeremyryanslate.com. Um, I'm also still on YouTube up to this point, though we've gotten in trouble a couple of times. So they could find me there and find me on Rumble as well. <laughs> we get in trouble on YouTube as well, which is why we always like to promote rumble.com. Follow Jeremy Ryan Slate over there and at x.com. Jeremy, thanks for getting up so early and being so generous with your time. We look forward to having you back again on the show soon. Hey, man, it's Eastern time, so I've been up for hours. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy Ryan Slate. What'd you guys think? Send us a text at 573-319-1586. Critical thinking. Are they teaching that in schools anymore? Well, one teacher stepped in to give his student a lesson they'll never forget about critical thinking. When it comes to J.K. Rowling, transgenderism, and wokeism itself, take a listen to this. So these guys want to talk about J.K. Rowling? Is, is that so? Hello, Internet. Would you like to work today? Would you like to actually play the video clip so that our listeners can enjoy it? Hmm? Uh, J.K. Rowling? Is, is that so? What's going on with that? What do you want to know? Uh, she's she's had a pretty controversial past. I just want to know, like, what are your thoughts on it, and like. So let's get specific, though. So let's get... Let's define bigoted opinions. What opinions are bigoted? We're going to treat this as a thought experiment. I'm not going to say yeah. what's right or wrong or what way to think. As this buffers, I can offer my commentary. So this teacher is about to give this student a lesson. 
and how to use critical thinking. And they're going to use it in the context of the attacks on J.K. Rowling that she is transphobic. This student is going to pull up quotes uh, from J.K. Rowling that the teacher is going to prompt from this student in order to get the student to question their premise of whether or not J.K. Rowling is indeed bigoted, homophobic, or transphobic. Uh, we're at 27 seconds. The whole point is to learn how to think, not what to think. Yeah, yeah. So when you say bigot, you, you're, you're starting with the conclusion that given her bigoted opinions, yeah, so first her, uh, let's start with does she have bigoted opinions? So when you, when you say bigoted opinions... She has had a history of being extremely transphobic, I've heard. And you've heard... So has had a history of being extremely transphobic. I've heard, this is his student saying this, the teacher is getting him to, to think critically by saying, okay, you're starting with the fundamental premise that her, she is a bigot, so let's go back and say, okay, before we, let's make sure the premise is correct before Wait, we move on. Uh, if you look at her Twitter, I think um, you could see a few things. Um, if you want, I could try and find yeah, see something. If you can find, see if you can find one. See if you can find one example from Twitter. This And this is a lot of people. These are the kind of conversations that you have all the time, especially in politics when I was running for office. The, the conversation with the average voter goes something like this. Right? The, the assumption, the premise is already determined, and therefore everything else, the outcome of that flows from this premise. Most people are, uh, have philosophies and ideas that are based on flawed premises. Where are they getting these flawed premises? Typically from the media from their uh, teachers, from the, from the school system in general, from their parents, right, from their friend so, groups. One of these tweets that she came up. All right, are we just gonna, we're going to struggle all morning with this one. 59 seconds into the show. With, Let's continue in here. In 2019, she said, dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you... Um, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for starting that, for stating that sex is real. So you find that bigoted? What do you find about it? Was in there? It was deemed transphobic. I, like I myself. Do you find that transphobic yourself? Uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, but I'm just going with what. A lot of other people have said. So let's of, pause it. Let's not go with what. You're just going with a, what a lot of people have said. Yeah. <laughs> this is the average thought process. This is the average thought process uh, of the average person. You know, take, you know, to look to your left, look to your right in American society. This is how the majority of people think. And this is how the majority of people operate. Most people are incapable people of critical are thinking. Let's try and learn how to critically think. So let's analyze the tweet ourselves. So that statement, do you see anything problematic? Disregarding other people's opinions. Um, she did try and pin some things on a, spe a specific group of, per of people. Where, she, where does she do that? do that? Can you read that? But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. So when I hear that, I'm interpreting that as meaning if a woman says that, you know, saying that there is a difference between men and female and then being attacked as transphobic, I think that's what she's saying by attacking someone for stating that sex is real. That is exactly what she's saying. Is that I, transphobic to you? So, to me... No, stating that sex is real is not transphobic. It's just a fact of life. It exists. 
So is there anything you disagree with in that tweet? Uh, in that tweet, I can't really see anything that I myself disagree with, but I can see why some people would think, oh, this is offensive. We can't have that here or something. Cause, sure. Uh, there's an apology tweet. What um, is she, let's read that. What did she say there? I haven't read that. I respect every trans person's right to live any way that feels authentic and comfortable to them. I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basis of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it is hateful to say so. Um, you see anything problematic there? She's apologizing, so... No, not really. Um, if I if I could read it again, it sounds like a, the same, a very similar statement as what she was just saying. She's basically saying like, "I have nothing." To me, this is what I interpret it as: I have nothing against someone being trans exactly. in your life, but you just don't get to impose on my. You can live how you want. I can live how I want. Yeah. And let's all you know. Exactly. So I guess now, so now that we're looking at it like, oh, there's not much difference between me or her. Do you, how? Why do you? Do you think it's fair that there's a that she's being attacked by a large group of people and people are calling her like you said at the beginning of this conversation you said given the fact that JK Rowling is transphobic how do you feel about Harry Potter now yeah. retroactively looking at that statement do you think that that was the best way to phrase No I feel like an idiot now <laughs> That's okay though but... Oh, boy, don't we all sometimes, don't we all? We've all made these mistakes until we learn how to be critical thinkers. And one of the things that really helped me to become a stronger critical thinker was to read more. You know, reading more is probably one of the biggest, the best cures that we can have to the ignorance that's happening in this country. I, you know, at some point, I don't necessarily even care what you read. It's that you read. Go read the Communist Manifesto, right? I've read it. Go read Das Kapital. Read things that you disagree with. That's a great way to help you get, get you out of your own confirmation bias. You may find that there are things that Karl Marx said that you agree with. You may say, hey, he's identified some of the problems in society, and now I see why so many people follow him. All of his solutions are idiotic, but at least in knowing that, you're going to be more educated. The problem is, is that everybody knows what they're standing for, right? But do you know what you're standing against? Maybe today is a good day to crack open a book and read an article or listen to a video from someone that you wouldn't ordinarily do. It's time for us to get outside of our bubbles and start thinking for ourselves. I don't agree with the establishment left or the alternative left. I don't agree with the establishment right. And I frankly very rarely agree even with the alternative right. What does that make me? Maybe just an independent. That's what we're all about here on the Wake Up America show, thinking for ourselves. Yes, I believe in economic freedom. Yes, I believe in individual rights and individual liberty. But at the end of the day, I stand on my own two feet and say, this is what I believe, and I'll share it with you here on the show. And if you agree, great. Click like and then subscribe to the channel. And if you disagree and you still stick around, well, guess what? I like that. You're still my kind of person because you've got the guts to listen to somebody that you don't agree with. And that's very rare. Don't forget to check out the gift shop on your way out. Visit AP4LibertyShop.com. Get yourself some delicious founding flavors coffee. I myself am enjoying a little bit of Jeffersonian Java this morning. You can also get some incredible Javier Malay merchandise, the best Javier Malay merchandise in the world. And we'll be back here tomorrow morning. Thanks for unlocking that bonus content, by the way, guys. We appreciate those donations. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the Wake Up America show.
at wakeupamericashow.com. 